the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back to our listeners. Today's episode, we have Dr. Brian Saltzman. Dr. Saltzman, thanks for being here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So in, in reviewing this again, I, I went back and I want our listeners to know that your talk on this is from 2019 Charlotte Conference. Uh, it's on our website and uh, hopefully look for that. We'll get more details on that later. But you made a point, and I, I think it's a very important point to understand the difference between high and low leukocyte or white blood cell concentrations in the PRP. Could you explain why that's so important? And it really is. And I make a point of that just because they are used in different indications. And so what you what you want to do is is make sure you're using the proper one for the proper indication, not only because of the, the value that it can have if, if using the correct formulation, but also because in certain situations, using the wrong one can be deleterious or harmful. The leukocyte, you know, leukocytes being white blood cells, you can get a leukocyte rich, obviously high in white blood cell versus a leukocyte poor, low in white blood cell preparations of PRP. And what we see is that the leukocyte risk preparations, when those white blood cells remain, you have an increase in actually essentially pro-inflammatory mediators with the white blood cells themselves, tumor necrosis factors, and certain interleukins and metalloproteinases that help to stimulate an inflammatory or reactive type of response. The problem with that is if you put it into the joint, for instance, those white cells can actually be deleterious and harmful to chondrocytes and synoviocytes. And so you got to know that and make sure that you're not using that preparation inside a joint injection, for instance. The ones inside the joint then is, is that discussion of leukocyte pore where the white blood cells are removed. And those are the kind of traditional anti-inflammatory mediators we think of interleukins 4 and 10 uh, um, are particularly beneficial anti-inflammatory mediators that are involved in those injections. And so you have to think about what's the optimum formula depending on the tissue, the location, and the pathology. And so there was a, a meta-analysis I, I did with one of my current partners a number of years ago when the, uh, in a former life when we were together at that time as well, looking at osteoarthritis and seeing at that time, we highlighted that there was that significant difference in arthritic preparations being a leukocyte-poor PRP where patients were responding better as opposed to leukocyte-rich. So arthritis, I think leukocyte-poor without the white cells. And now we know also it's more concerning for the way that it affects the cartilage cells themselves. Overuse tendinopathy, so lateral apicondylitis, meoapicondylitis about the elbows, for instance, you're thinking more leukocyte-rich in those areas where I kind of describe to my patients that the bodies almost give up on those parts of the body after some period of time, and they kind of forget that it needs a healing response. And so you're almost trying to tick off the area with this pro-inflammatory mediator that has all of these interleukins and cytokines and growth factor paracrine effects to then get the body to come back and, and try and remember it's it's got pain there and it needs to be repaired. Acute muscle injury is, is somewhat of a, a question we're still looking to better understand. There's some who are using actually the part of the blood draw centrifuged out portion of platelet pore plasma to see if that's actually something valuable in acute muscle injury. So I think we're still trying in some situations to better understand whether we want the leukocyte rich or poor preparation. But certainly I do think we've done a nice job as, you know, as orthopedic practitioners in our research in the last five, 10 years of making sure that we're delineating which type of PRP is being used 
and certain cell counts and platelet counts and, and actually specific concentrations of growth factors so that not only can we study these things better, but so that when we're using them in our own practices, we have a better understanding of what we should be looking for to try and see that desired effect that was maybe shown from that study. Mm -hmm. Again, watching your video, I didn't realize there were so many different manufacturers of the centrifuges that actually you use to, to get the PRP and they can be calibrated to, to give you different concoctions or different concentrations of leukocytes and others. That's exactly right. So that's important to know. It's, it's, it's not just the one, you know, one thing that everybody uses. So make sure you understand what your equipment that you have does. Next question, how well does it work? The efficacy. I'm sure a lot of it depends on the clinical situation. Everything does. But what's your experience with it? And also as a surgical adjunct, what are your thoughts? Now, what I've tried to do is, as I remain involved in the research efforts myself, but, but even more so just trying to be a student of the game, I, I try to keep up as much as I can with all the new literature that's coming out, which is month by month astounding at, at how much is being looked at from these biologic therapies. But kind of the sense that I got is, is there's some differences between what I feel has pretty, pretty high quality evidence at this point versus things with somewhat more moderate quality evidence and, and those with really insufficient evidence or, or even lack of evidence or support against its use. And what I look at for those things with higher level of evidence, I look at knee arthritis at this point, particularly lower grades of Kelvin-Lorentz changes, so mild, moderate arthritis. It seems that leukocyte-poor platelet-rich plasma has an effect on functional outcomes in pain in comparison with control or risk of supplementation injections. And I highlighted that earlier as well with some good studies that are out there. I think that lateral epicondylitis, that seems to be another one with high quality evidence to show longer continuous, short and longer term relief in comparison with control injections or corticocera injections with a leukocyte rich platelet rich plasma injection preparation. I think things with more moderate levels of evidence, moderate to, to maybe higher level evidence, things like plantar fasciitis, which, which again, for me is a suggestion of what I've read in the literature, because I don't see as much of that or really any of that with our foot and ankle colleagues doing most of the, the foot and ankle work. But that seems to be a location where pain and function with leukocyte rich platelet rich plasma has certainly less deleterious effects as, as compared to cortisone injection and may have a better improvement in pain and function. I think patellar tendinopathy has at least a fair amount of a little bit more distant data showing leukocyte-rich platelet-rich plasma for improvements of pain in the short term. But I think, honestly, some of the more recent data calls into question its efficacy in the midterm and maybe longer term. Looking at some of the kind of non-operative things, uh, additionally, like partial UCL tears, which obviously gets a lot of colloquial discussion in, in our day-to-day -day lives hearing about baseball players with these injuries. I see a little bit similar to the patellar tendinopathy, where I think some of the earlier data was very supportive and high on this, showing improvements in pain and return to play. But there's some more recent studies, so again, that might be challenging this and suggesting we need higher level of evidence, maybe the, you know, truly placebo-controlled randomized trials are not out there yet for us to more definitively quote some uh, with mm -hmm. uh, adhesive capsulitis, so frozen shoulder pain, function motion seems to do well with leukocyte poor platelet-rich plasma as compared to cortisone injection, which I think we generally use, but smaller studies, limited follow-up. Same thing with something that, that I see in my practice being uh, the harvest site from a bone patellar tendon bone for ACL reconstruction. So taking that bone block and, and that block of the tibia is a, is a painful part of the procedure. 
probably the most painful part of the procedure of uh, an ACL reconstruction with that graft. But leukocyte poor platelet-rich plasma, at least in moderate level of evidence studies, seems to have decreased donor site pain when injected in those locations. And I know I've seen a little bit of that myself and, and talked to some colleagues around who have been using that in that setting too. I think there's some evidence to augment rotator cuff repair. I have a meta-analysis that I worked on back in 2015 or 2016. It was in arthroscopy where we looked at the highest level of evidence at that time to suggest that that in small to medium-sized tears with a double row technique of repair using a, a solid PRP matrix and right at that bone tendon interface seem to have a trend toward improvement. But I do think in the last couple of years, there's been higher level studies which show it's, you know, we're still kind of debating that topic of use and certainly it's not, it's not the standard of care. Other areas, I, I think with ACL reconstruction itself, some of the MRI data suggests that Graft tunnel healing is better when PRP uh, leukocyte pore is injected kind of at the graft tunnel area. And so it might have better incorporation of that bone with a BTB graft or of the soft tissue into the bone of a hamstring or a soft tissue graft. But it doesn't seem to correlate, at least with what we have, with functional outcomes. So that might be, again, something that will bear out in one way or another in the future, but we're not sure yet. Similarly, insufficient evidence, I think, for things like uh, hip arthritis or, or rotator cuff tendinopathy or impingement where, where, you know, places where we often use cortisone injections and we don't yet have the evidence or maybe won't have the evidence to suggest that it's superior to use PRP in comparison with some of those other options, but definitely less evidence that's been looked at in those particular pathologies. I will say that there's one, one pathology that I think the literature has become more clear about that PRP seems to lack efficacy, and that seems to be around Achilles tendinopathy or an Achilles tendon repair. And again, for me, that's that's looking through the literature because I, I don't really do any Achilles work because of my colleagues out there doing that, doing a great job for us in the foot and ankle department. But in the literature, it suggests really no improvements in, in actual healing of Achilles repair or in pain or, or uh, patient-reported outcomes of Achilles tendinopathy. So that seems to be one of the one of the few areas where I think the literature is concrete against its use because there's been enough to suggest that it doesn't have a robust response. That's great stuff. So just a technical kind of a how-to with the injection. Do you use ultrasound guidance for these injections? And after that, are there any other considerations either from the PRP itself, drawing the blood, the centrifuge? We talked about a lot, but are there any other considerations that we need to think about when we're planning to use PRP? As far as uh, ultrasound guidance, I think there's, you know, there's some data out there at this point to suggest that we're pretty good at injecting into the knee and being correct in where we're injecting. There might be some level of increased accuracy, but, but certainly that difference is smaller in the knee as compared to certainly the hip or the shoulder where ultrasound guidance seems to be more accurate. I, I think there's value in using it for biologic type injections where you're you know, where it's not a surgical augment in the OR and you're looking inside the joint with a scope to see right where you put the needle, in part because, of course, these are expensive therapies. And so we do want to make sure that we're being as accurate as possible so that you're not, you know, injecting it into a part that you don't think you are so that we're kind of giving the most value and uh, bang for your buck for patients who are putting a lot of their hard-earned money towards these types of injections. So uh, I think, again, hip, shoulder, tendons around the, the elbow and the knee to look for certain areas of pathology. I think the ultrasound could be valuable there. Anecdotally and personally, maybe a little bit less in the knee where I think, uh, I think there's some literature to support that we're pretty good getting into the knee joint itself. And then as far as just other considerations for using PRP, I, 
I like to highlight for my patients who, who come in and talk about these types of therapies, surgical, augment, or standalone. I, I think it's important for them to understand and important for practitioners to understand that there is a little bit of kind of pre-injection or pre-op prep with these and, and some post-injection types of instructions that are important too. And what I mean by that is before PRP, I, so I won't have somebody come into the office and talk about, uh, you know, injection alone therapy for knee arthritis or, or for, you know, for something around the knee or shoulder and then do it that same day because typically they're not, their body's not prepared for it. And that's because there's, there's actually a need to get a washout period for things that inhibit platelet aggregation, like anti-inflammatories, ibuprofen, Motrin, other antiplatelet type therapies like aspirin, blood thinning medications, supplements like ginseng, ginkgo, and ginger, I always think of the three Gs that have some degree of an effect on platelet aggregation. And then after PRP injection, depending on what type and where, for instance, if you use a leukocyte-rich preparation around the elbow, where you're trying to stimulate this inflammatory response, we don't want to then tampen it down and, and try and negate what you've done. And so, so for the week that follows, I don't want them to ice the elbow, even though it's going to be a bit sore and swollen. I don't want them to take anti-inflammatories that are going to reverse the effect of what we're trying to do from a biologic standpoint in there too. So there's a little bit of patient work in that week after and, and a little bit of discomfort that can be related to that, particularly with tendinopathy-based leukocyte-rich platelet-rich plasma injections, where they can expect a couple of days of pain and, and the desire to, and, uh, and probably a, a recommendation to avoid certain strenuous activities. And uh, not icing those areas that normally you'd want to ice because it's it's kind of warm and swollen. So those are the other things that I like to think of. And then lastly, just uh, the, the thought of cost, which for me with my patient population, I think anybody is it's a, a real part of the discussion. And even in places where I think or expect that PRP could be of value, it's always prefaced with, yeah, but, and, and that's the cost that's, you know, not necessarily covered by insurances and, and can be high. So you want to make sure, want to make sure as practitioners as a whole, that we're being as evidence-based as we can and not being frivolous with the use of these therapies, particularly where they are costly for patients and, uh, and you know, an out-of-pocket cost. Mm -hmm. Dr. Saltzman, I certainly appreciate you being with us for the podcast. This is fantastic. I'm excited to have it air. I appreciate it. Join us next week when we have a discussion regarding stem cell therapy and the future of orthobiologics. Dr. Saltzman previously presented a talk on orthobiologics at the PAOS Charlotte Conference in 2019. The recording of this talk is on the PAOS Learning Center under CME. Non-members can purchase the content on the AAPA Learning Center for Category 1 CME.